On this edition of Unity Talks, stay tuned to find out how you can develop your people with two pieces of important advice, and that is empowerment and support. All that next on the Unity Talks podcast. Welcome to Unity Talks, where the hiring experts of Dallas-based recruiting firm Unity Search engage in lively discussion with successful business leaders to dissect their careers and how they got to where they are today, the obstacles overcome to reach their success, and steps they've taken to stay at the top of their respective fields. So listen in as we provide you with the thought-provoking conversation and ideas that keep industries moving forward. And welcome back once again to the Unity Talks podcast, where we interview DFW business leaders on how they got to where they're at in their career, what keeps them there, and any advice they could share with our audience. And today, our guest is Trish McBratney, who is the Chief Accounting Officer and Senior VP at NetStreet. Welcome to the show, Trish. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so thankful that you get to carve out some day, share with us your story, and share with us any advice and wisdom, which I know you're chock full of, <laughs> for our audience. But before we get into that, you got to give us a little commercial on NetStreet. You bet. Private, uh, public company. I was almost going to say private. I did. It once was. Now it's public. Tell us a little bit about NetStreet. Yes. So NetStreet is a triple net lease company. So we own essential retail across the U.S. and we're publicly traded. When did y'all go public? 2020, August of 2020. So right after the pandemic hit, we went public. Right after, right during. <laughs> did you make the trip? Did they? How did they do that? Did no, people go? No, we, like, we, we did a webcast to do the IPO and they, um, they actually had a person on the floor ringing the bell for us the day we went public. So did they, so they had to figure all that stuff out, right? They did. And they had a process set up and we had, uh, there was a few people at the company that were rolling on Zoom and they had them up on the screen as the bell was ringing. So that's it was, awesome. it was amazing actually. Awesome. All so, things considered, that's really cool because, you know, the, the exchanges had to come up with a plan because mm -hmm. they can't have people flying there. Right. Awesome. Yeah, and it was great because they brought us back uh, last year to actually uh, ring the bell. For, so we got to open the market in August of 2021. So we actually got to go to, to ring the bell. The one-year celebration. It was great. It was so great. So we, we really enjoyed that. So. Yeah, that's super cool. Well, we're going to get really into your background, and we're going to start with growing up, where you grew up. And Here's the thing. Yesterday, so Trish grew up in a small town. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to get this right. I wrote it down. <laughs> you bet. Okima. That's right. Oklahoma. Yes. 40 miles to the east of Oklahoma City, 40 mm -hmm. miles essentially to the south of Tulsa. Right. Now, you tried to fool me yesterday because you said it's about 10,000 people. Yes. Do you know how, much, how many people live there? Now, probably around 8,000 people. <laughs> It's I, a pretty small town. I actually have the correct answer. Okay. As of 2020 census, uh -huh. 3,000. Oh, there you go. It's really small. Oh, my goodness. So oil and gas? Is that Yeah, the... I mean, it's funny because I grew up in this town and, you know, I'd say the businesses were oil and gas and then everything that kind of to run a town. And we're also the county seat. So there was a lot of people that worked at the county courthouse. Uh, and so, you know, that kind of ran the whole town, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I grew up and, and went to elementary all the way to high school, and I knew the same people in my class. So we there was about 50 of us that went to kindergarten together all the way to senior. Oh <laughs> so it was was it amazing. in one building? No. Always? No, So no. you actually got to change schools? We did. We had okay. an elementary, we had a middle school and high school. And since I've left, they have made a new high school. So that was very impressive. 
that they were able to build a new high school. What I did learn when I was talking with you is that the next biggest town, it's still a town, Henrietta, Oklahoma, right? Yes. And so since we're in Dallas, most people who are football fans of the Cowboys know Henrietta, Oklahoma. Yes. Why? Because Troy Aikman's from there. Because so Troy Aikman's from it there. Was, it was incredible, though, because I will say he attended one of our high school basketball games. Um, when I was in high school, he attended, it was in the 90s, and he was there and everybody was talking about Troy Aikman. And, of course, at the time, I didn't really follow football, um, but it was everybody was talking about how he was in the building. So and that he just got drafted by the sure, Dallas Cowboys, yeah. and I had no idea who There's he was. There's excitement. <laughs> now, yeah. you didn't follow football, but you were an athlete growing up, right? You were heavily involved in sports. You were yes. in track. Like, that was your thing. Right, right. right. So. Yeah, track, you know, cheerleading. I played basketball, too, so it was a lot of fun. Awesome. But in a small town, you do everything. Yeah, you kind of have to. You I guess, do, you right? do. <laughs> the coaches How, are like, come out. What was the longest bus ride to go to the neighboring town to play? About thirty minutes. Oh, okay, so yeah, not bad. Not bad. Not there bad. was a lot of small towns around us. Um, Pre- Prague, it's Prague. Um, they were the closest town to us. That was a two A school, so we were two A, and they were our big rival. Awesome. So, yep. Very cool. Very yeah. Cool. And here's the other thing. So we learned parents aren't doctors, but from eight years old on. Yeah. You were going to be a pediatrician. I was. I I had it in my mind from a very young age that I was going to be a doctor. And really in high school, because I I love kids, um, I wanted to be a pediatrician. And so I went to school thinking, I'm going to med school. And look at me now. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I don't interview doctors. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, well, and that's the thing, right? Small town. So you actually became the trainer of the high school uh, basketball team and track team, right? It's like, if they needed bandaging up. I was doing it. And I really, you know, I was an athlete too, but I was always willing to help my teammates out. Um, And I thought, well, this is great training for me for when I, you know, become a doctor and so, yeah, from a very early age, that's what I thought it was going to be. And then I get to college and that all changed. <laughs> yeah. So let's, so take us through that real quick because you're an accountant. Yeah. And yeah. Now, now you don't only just wear an accounting hat in your right. current role. You're right. wearing insurance, IT. Yeah. IT, HR, you know, all these different hats. But why did we switch sophomore in, in college, mm-hmm. Oklahoma State University, yeah. and we switch from pre-med mm-hmm. to accounting? Yeah, I mean, it really was something I fell into because once I was a pre-med major and decided, okay, no, this isn't the path I'm going to take, you know, my parents encouraged me to go to the business college, and it it was a great landing spot, and of course, when you go to the business college, the first class that they have you take is accounting, and I didn't mention this before, or maybe we talked about it a little bit, but in high school, there was um, an elective called accounting, and I took it in high school, not thinking anything about it. Um, But when I switched over to the business college, you know, accounting class was like my first business. um, That and statistics were kind of my first two classes in the business college. And my accounting professor just took me to the side and said, why aren't you an accounting major? And I said, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to wear the visor. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to track things in the ledger. And she said, no, 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 there's public accounting and there's the big six at the time. Um, and it's a completely different take on accounting and you're more of a consultant. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds exciting. And she was really instrumental in getting me involved in Beta Alpha Psi, which was an accounting organization on campus. And she introduced me to a lot of the firms. Um, so I, I early, like 
really six months after I became a business major, I became an accounting major. Um, so it was really amazing because things kind of just, you know, from there, it just kind of took off. And I remember going through my interviews um, on campus, and a lot of times I'd get questions, like looking at my resumes, like, wow, you have a lot of science classes. Yeah, what's wrong with <laughs> yeah, you? What's... Exactly. And so I had to go through the whole spiel of like, yes, I was a pre-med major. And so I didn't have a minor, which was unusual for an accounting major. Um, and in Oklahoma at the time, we didn't require a 150-hour mm-hmm. requirement. So I, I could just get my bachelor's degree. So I was focused on getting it done. I was able to graduate from Oklahoma State in four years. Um, but it was very tough. I had to take summer classes and I had to take a class like a month after graduation to finish my degree. Um, and so I was focused. I was like, I'm going to be a CPA and I'm going to work for Deloitte. And so that, you know, it just changed. And, and I mean, sometimes life does that, right? You just, you show up someplace and you're like, okay, it's something different now. You do, you do. (laughs) And here's, so here's the thing. You, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to perform well. Right. And you've made it to where you are in your career and that pressure you put on yourself, because it wasn't from talking to you, it wasn't like mom and dad are putting all this pressure on yourself. um, But in your mind, like I needed to be the best. Right. And so maybe you didn't like the classes that you were taking for your pre-med, but you'd also said, well, I got a B (laughs) and I can't handle that. I needed to be the best. Right. Um, So and that's a lot of pressure on yourself, which. Accounting people and finance people have a tendency to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're good performers because they want everything nice, neat, fit into a box. Right. Um, where did that come from for you, putting that pressure on yourself? Because it, it's a blessing and a curse at times right. for people. Right. I don't know. I, I think I've always been driven. I've always been a driven person, and that's just part of who I am. Um, and I think early on, like even you know, in middle school, I just remember thinking, I want to do big things. Um, didn't know what that was going to be mm-hmm. exactly. I wanted to be a doctor, but, you know, middle school, you don't think about college and all the education you have to go through to be a doctor. Um, and then, you know, really, once I got into college and finding my calling, it just fueled that internal ambition that I had. And then once I realized, wow, big four, big six at the time, you know, that's where it's at. That's where I'm going to go. And, you know, I was really driven. Just, I don't know. And I don't really know where it comes from. It's just something I've always, always done. It's funny. People who are very driven, sometimes they have to balance that because that self-talk can be good. And then the self-talk can also be like not so good. And so they really have to balance that. It's obviously served you well in your career. Mm -hmm. Um, Is your self-talk the same now as it was then? Or have you modified that since you're you're older and you've achieved what you've achieved so far? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just different now. And so I would say that what I do now is I, I really, I enjoy teaching people and I enjoy developing my teams. And I know that sounds very cliche, you know, development of people, empowering people. I really love that. I really love bringing new people into my organization and and that have never done things before and teaching them something new. That gives me so much, I mean, that just gives me a lot Mm -hmm. that I can teach somebody something new and it can be little things, it can be big things. Um, And I really enjoy bringing people in and putting them in roles 
that I see that they'll be successful at but they've never done before and giving them that support system to go, I will support you in this role. I know you've never done it before, um, but I want to support your success. And, and that's, I've always loved that. And I think I got that, you know, early on at Deloitte, you know, one of the things you're used to at Deloitte is that you just have tons of new college graduates in and out of big four. And so you're constantly training new people um, but at Deloitte, they also push their leaders out to do training. And I think because of all that, you know, that was kind of my baseline. And I've always been, I've always enjoyed that aspect of it. And that, that is one of the things that kept me at Deloitte for so long was that I always felt like there was a challenge and I was always being developed. And I love that. And, and taking that into industry and the places I've been with my people I feel like I'm bringing that to the table. So I want people to succeed and I want them to learn something new and feel like, okay, <clears throat> Trish brought me in. She's empowered me to do a new role, something I've never done before. And she's supporting that growth. She's, she's not just giving it to me, but she's supporting me, training me, encouraging me to do it, and then helping redirect. Because you is, can't just give somebody yes. a new role and say, okay. So here's so we're gonna we're gonna spend <laughs> the rest of the time on this because you <laughs> right. said so much there. Um, so we're gonna pause on all of this, but before we get too far into it, just to give people kind of the dossier or the resume real quick. So it was you know how many years at Deloitte? Uh, a, a lot of years. So I was almost I think it was like almost fourteen years at Deloitte. So a lot yeah. a lot of time. So I I left Deloitte in two thousand twelve. Left um, as a senior manager. Senior manager. Yep. yep. Um, and then I went into industry after that. And my first job after leaving Deloitte was a public company controller. And that was a big risk um, because I'd never been a controller. I'd never been at a public company. I'd never done everything. I'd, I'd served public clients. And so, you know, Gary Witazic, Kim Sheehy, um, they really took a chance on me. And I, I just thank them well, today. Well, this is what that. people always say. Yeah. It's like, Senior managers or managers want to leave and get into a controller position. Right. And it's most true. of the time, it's like, well, I get that you've audited it, but you've <laughs> never made a journal entry. Exactly. Like, you don't know what month in close is right. actually like. So right. you've probably been in over your head. We exactly. need to start you in reporting and yeah. then bring you over. That's right. And that's so right. it's really cool that you, uh, again, you're, you push yourself to excel. So yep. they picked the great person to try that on. Mm -hmm. And I am th so thankful. And I was able to really learn a lot from that role. And it's really propelled me, you know, in my career, I was, you know, I then became went on to, to become the chief accounting officer for Mill Creek Residential. And that kind of got me back to my roots back to real estate kind of multifamily. And I was able to kind of, you know, in that role, I was able to oversee IT, HR, a lot of different functions, insurance, and areas that I had never touched before. And that was amazing. And I've been able to carry those experiences through today. You know, I'm in this, our company is a big public company, but we, we do a lot with little. Like we have 35 people, so we're doing a lot as a public company. And so there are a lot of hats that I have to wear and our people have to wear. So it's really benefited me in this role. So now that we have the background, right? Yeah. In public, senior manager, go straight to industry, public companies. Yep. Um, so let's talk about what we were here to spend a lot of time on, which you is bet. development of people. And there's two umbrellas here. <clears throat> you said them both earlier. You said there's empowering mm -hmm. and then there's support. Yeah. So 
Let, let's let's and we may spend most of the time on empowering because mm -hmm. that can be kind of one of those catchy phrases that people right. throw around all the time like right. oh i empower my team <laughs> but people are always looking at well what does that mean to you and and help us walk through some practical ways that you actually can execute on empowering your people yeah i mean it really is you know you you look at your team and you make sure that they they're being developed i mean the last thing i want for somebody to to, to join our company and not feel like they're, they have an opportunity to learn something new. So empowerment to me is is giving them a new project or something they've never done before and then getting giving them the support. It's like, I'm going to pay for you to do the training. I'm going to support you. I'm going to show you, um, you know, how I've done it mm -hmm. and spending the time with them to do that because, you know, you want your professionals. I mean, if you, you have to sit in that seat, right, as a manager and say, I was there once. And what things would have helped me succeed? And so you really have to think about the person that you're training, like what their background is, and really giving them the support they need to excel. And, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday. I think the other thing is being okay that, you know what, success comes with failure. And I feel like a lot of business leaders maybe skip over that part. But in order for me to be successful, even today, when I look at my career, I had to fail. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you learn so much from failure that your success is that much better. And again, buzzwords, right? But you have to, it's just like riding a bike. You're going to fall. You're going to skin your knee. And that's okay, but that's part of it. You can't expect that your people are going to come in, wear the hat, and they're going to excel and everything's perfect. Because if that's the case, then maybe you're not empowering them. Maybe they're doing something they've always done and then it's not rewarding for them. It's like you want them to stay at your company and to feel like I have something to contribute and not only that, but I'm growing in my profession and and someday be able to, to be a Trish or to be the CFO or go on to be things that they want to be in their career. So, mm -hmm. when, so when you hire a new person, mm -hmm. do you sit down with them and and you use that word like I want to empower you to fill in the rest of the sentence so that you're setting their expectations that you're okay with them failing or I'm going to put hard things on your plate. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's absolutely part of the conversation because I want people to feel comfortable. I don't want them to feel like, oh my gosh, I can't go to Trish if I don't understand something or this doesn't quite make sense, I want them to feel that comfort level that, you know what, there's an open door policy with her and she knows that I'm doing new things and I'll have questions and I won't always know the answer and that's okay because I expect that. Mm -hmm. um, and I also, like after we talked yesterday, it made me think about like other things that you can do as a manager that we've done um, at my various companies and that's, you know, bringing people along um, so sometimes, you know, just little things, they may not have a speaking part, but, you know, let them see how you lead and how you interact with the audit committee, with the board. And I think that's tremendous, right? So if somebody's sitting there going, I want to be a CAO someday, or I want to be the CFO someday, when they actually get to attend a meeting and see how it works and even get an opportunity to speak, um, it helps them see themselves in that role down the road and it empowers them. You know, it feels like it's, you're anxious and you're nervous oh, I think and that's, that's good. Yeah. I think you know? that is so good. I mean, I'm trying, I'm taking myself back in my <laughs> career, you know, 20 right. years ago and 
if in having a boss tell me, hey, why don't you come sit on this finance meeting in my former life, which I'm glad I'm not in finance <laughs> anymore, and, and everybody else is too. Um, but just having the ability to do that. Thinking, right. I'm walking out of that meeting with, you know, shoulders back, chest out, head right. held high. Right. I'm telling my wife and kids. Right. I would feel so great about yeah. that. Yeah. And it's 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 amazing. You know, this last year, Net Street, we had interns come into our company. We had four interns and they were all at various stages of their college career. But we had them actually present. We had them in areas across the company and they did things that our senior leadership people do normally but we had them do it and it was great because they could see oh my gosh if if I stay at it this is my this is my future and it it does help and I I think that helps in a lot of different ways um, because we do have to be more creative on how we engage the generation that's coming up the generation in college how do you encourage them to stay with it Well, here's what I just heard you say, which was so cool, is you're giving them stuff that matters. Yeah. Instead of, you know, like I could easily see leaders and I know of leaders um, where I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. So I'm just going to give it and delegate it to this person. Right. And let them do the stuff that I don't want to do. They they know that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just getting this because you don't want to do it. Exactly. That's, you know, you may think, oh, I'm empowering them to do that. But they know that's not empowering. Right. You have to you have to give them the stuff that matters. And and I just yeah. heard you say that you're giving them stuff that interns that senior leaders that do on a daily basis. basis. And it's so is that something that you've always done? Is that You know, I, I would say little by I would say in my you know, across you know, the last five or six years after being out of public accounting, I definitely have seen that more here at Net Street than other places. And I do think it's genius. I think it's, you know, we had our intern on investor relations. We had a, an investor relations intern that did the opening statement for our earnings call. And so cool. we got to introduce her and she got to read the script about it, having forward looking comments. And that was so impressive because I was like, here she is, you know, not even 21. And she's reading the script on, you know, our, our yeah. you know, our call for the earnings. So you know, it's stuff like that. And it, it's little things. It doesn't have to be that grand either. It can be just small things, right? It can be things that maybe you do the presentation for the audit committee. Maybe you give that to somebody else more junior on the team. And it, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think it's, you know, gives them a flavor for what it's like to be in that seat. So we talked about empowering. Yeah. How do you show them support? What is, what is support? What are <clears throat> practical ways we can support our team? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's so important. You know, I grew up at Deloitte and I say that a lot because I grew up in accounting at Deloitte. And when you're in big four, they support you so much when it comes to CPE and technology and stuff like that. And so I've carried that through my industry life, um, making sure that my team knows that they're not going to just not have tools, you know, so maybe it's, you know, if they come to me and they say, hey, I want to go to this training and it's in Las Vegas, and it's a Yardy training, do it. I want them to, to learn it. I want them to be passionate and network with other people. And, you know, but it's those things. It's it's the Yardy trainings. It's, you know, giving them access to technology that helps them do their job easier. Um, so if they want technical libraries that are different, um, I've always done that. And I think that's important, right? It's it is GNA cost, and we, we have to be mindful. We have to balance it, right? You can't say yes to everything. 
But at the same time, you know, for a person to be successful, they have to feel like, hey, I've got the tools I need to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never want somebody to walk in and go, wow, you know, everything is so on the cheap and I don't feel like the investment's there in me and my development. I never want somebody to walk out of my department or a company and feel that way. Well, you just you just answered a very <laughs> practical question for other leaders, which is you're building it into your budget. Yeah, because it absolutely. does increase your G and A expense. It does. And so it you're does. building that in at the beginning of the year, knowing I got to show I have to show support to my team, mm-hmm. and so you're sending them to training, um, right. or you're bringing people in to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Do you find out from uh, people that report to you? Because you have so many different areas. You've got an IT area, you've got accounting people, you've got HR thing, and you've got all these different... Do you take notes in one-on-ones that, you know, this is how this person operates and this is the support they need, and then you just schedule that out for yourself or how... You know, it's really overtly. I mean, I, you know, I'm very direct with my, the people that work with me. I ask them questions like, what, you know, what can we do differently? How could we use technology differently? Um, so I, I... I definitely don't make it a secret and I don't want it to be hard for somebody to go, I need this. Um, so I think it's very on purpose and overt. Um, and it's asking those questions. And I think as a leader, you do have to ask questions. I think if you just wait for people to request it, I think that's hard because that can create some, you know, not animosity, but maybe people are afraid to confront you or afraid to ask and but little do you know that 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 would go a long way so you have to be on purpose you have to lead on purpose you have to ask them questions and make sure that they're getting what they need because you can't just assume they're going to ask so one of the things you said yesterday was from the second they step foot at the company net street in Mm -hmm. this case they're empowered yes right is there anything that you do during an interview process that uh, that you're trying to set the stage for, yes, this person is going to take my empowerment. They are going to be a little bit risky and mm-hmm. fail and learn from that because on the other side of trials and tribulations is growth. Mm-hmm. And so is there anything, if, if I'm interviewing someone, does something click with you or you can just see like this is the type of person we need? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really hard, right? When you're interviewing people, I would say the biggest thing is, for me, it's being patient with the interview process. I mean, you and I talked about how hard it is right now to hire talent. And, you know, talent comes in all forms. And I think even like as recently as hiring our IT manager, you know, you do have to think outside the box when you're interviewing somebody and say, is this a person that's going to work good with our business leaders? Is this a person that's going to be able to tackle a challenge? And so it's the intangibles when you're interviewing that person to figure out if that comes out in their, in that discussion. Cause you can make it, you can make interviews super technical, but I find that you, you learn more about a person and how they're going to work with you and how they're going to work with the organization when you get to those intangible questions, which is, you know, you ask them the harder questions about, you know, do they know their industry and their job, but you get the other pieces, like what problems have you dealt with? You know, when you deal with conflict, how do you resolve it? When you have issues, how do you address it? So you do get that sense. Um, and, and I would say for me, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed my career path um, because I feel like since I, even at Deloitte, I feel like I've always been in that situation where I'm dealing with change, 
I'm dealing with growth, I'm dealing with very hard things, or I'm implementing something new. And I thrive off that as a business leader. I thrive off change. Um, you know, if you were to ask my team at NetStreet, I'm always like, oh, well, how can we use technology different? How can we do this different? And I'm sure some of them are like, can we just do things just one way and never change it again? And it's like, no, we can't. We have to always be thinking about how can we do this better and make your life better, make my life better and make it easier. So I'm, I'm always pushing that. So I'm a change agent. Well, here's what's so great. That last little quote that you just said. So I'm I'm actually going to turn that as we wrap up here. I'm okay. Gonna, I'm going to turn what you just said into the quote you actually have on your LinkedIn page. Yep. The quote is, always leave a place better than, where, than how you found it. Absolutely. What does that mean to you? You know, it... It really does mean that. I want I want any organization that I've been part of to go, here's how it was when Trish showed up. Here's how it is when she left. And it's in a better spot. And not just, oh, it's better because we have better people, but we have a better process. Or we're using technology different. Or we, we're, t- we're thinking about things completely different that we weren't thinking about. So always giving it that fresh look. And so I do. I, I, I pride myself that every place I've been to, I, I would say that people would say, yes, she changed how we did things and we did it we did it a better way because she came in here and was able to implement changes and add people that really made a difference to our culture and or process. And so I love that. Yeah. That's what I thrive on. Yeah, so. you're a change agent. You said <laughs> it yourself. I you am. know, an interesting side note on that. Have I don't know if you know this. You once were not a football fan because of the whole Troy Aikman discussion we had yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Army football team, the Black Knights, mm-hmm. they're known for leaving the locker room in better condition when okay. they're the visiting team. Wow, okay. Than what they got there and found it. That's so amazing. So when they're done, win or lose... That's great. The locker room, the opposing team's locker room, because the Army's, the locker room is going to be in pristine. Like, they'll go fix things. Like, <laughs> oh, this is, why don't you just screw this in? You That's know? great. Isn't and that I, so great? That is so great. Because, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I mean, the reality is people don't stay at a job forever. I mean, I would love that to be the case. But you want it to be a good experience, and you always want to leave a place with a good taste in the mouth. Like saying, you know what, we loved having her here. We loved her being part of the organization and she's gone off to greener pastures or to be a change agent somewhere else. Um, and so I, that is, that's huge to me. So Trish McBatney folks, she is fantastic. <laughs> and always remember that, that if you take empowerment and you take support, you're going to be able to marry those two things together and you are going to leave a place better than how you found it. And for those that listen to the podcast, we so much appreciate you joining us today. Please share it uh, with other business leaders, people who are climbing in their career and other leaders uh, of companies and how they manage their staff. And until next time. If you're looking for the next step in your career or the missing piece for your team, Unity Search has you covered. Whether it's finance and accounting, tax services, information technology, or human resources, Unity Search is here for you with experienced and dedicated hiring professionals. Reach out today and take the next step. Unity Search, placing you first.